Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. So many Christians are walking around trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with my life? I don't, they're, they're Christians. They believe in Jesus. They, they've taken that step. I believe Jesus is Lord. He died on the cross, rose from the grave. He's coming back again. I'm looking for it. But then they're meandering through this life without any sense of purpose. They don't have guidance. They don't know what to do. The reason is, is that they're not, they're not living like a living sacrifice. It's because they won't let God have it all. That they're not walking in, in clarity. They don't have a sense of clarity about what they're supposed to do. You notice it the first time you drop your infant off at childcare or that first day of kindergarten. How about when your teenager drives off by herself for the first time? The college dorm drop-off days are always hard, too. There is an element of surrender that you have to be okay with in letting them go and live their life apart from you. Did you know that God wants you to surrender your life over to Him? Today, Pastor Bill talks about this is necessary for you to live a life for God, fully surrendered to Him. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 12 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. God, as we study uh, this first portion of Romans chapter 12 today, God, I pray you would open up your word to us, Father. God, I pray you would speak to us. Lord, I pray this would be a supernatural moment, Lord, as um, there are people in this room, Lord, that desperately need to hear from you, Lord. I believe you have a word for each one of us. God, there are things that you want to share with us, Lord, so help us. Help Help us to have hearts that are good ground, Lord, that we might receive your word in truth, and empower that we might walk in it, Lord. And um, so we give you our minds, our attention, our energy, our, our hearts. We give you all of who we are. Ask, Lord, that you would have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Romans, similar to some of the other books written by the Apostle Paul, breaks down into sections. And if you guys, uh, for you guys that maybe have studied the book of Ephesians, uh, you'll find that the first half of the book of Ephesians, chapters one through three, Paul is laying out all the things that God has done for you. And then as he finishes that, the last three chapters, he's telling you how to respond. Now, this is how you should live, you know, based on what you've already looked at. And the idea, kind of Paul's pattern is, you know, we we never, we, we always are responding to the Lord. And so we spent 11 chapters of Romans looking at what God has done for us, uh, how God has worked on our behalf and all the things that he's done for us. And so We'll begin now in chapter 12 through the rest of the book of Romans. It's going to be very practical. Uh, we're going to be, it's going to be a lot of instruction, a lot of what you should do and how you should live and how you should behave. But I don't want you to forget the 11 chapters previous, all that he gave us uh, up to this point. So uh, one of the things that we're going to deal with, probably as a pastor, one of the things that you're asked the most, uh, one of the things that people are asking you prayer for the most is trying to figure out, people want to know, What's God's will for my life? How can I know what God's will for my life is? I believe that we're going to cover that. Uh, it's, it's really laid out very simply in, um, in Romans 12. And I got some other things I want to put along with it. So if that's a question on your mind, I want to know God's will for my life. What, what's God want me to do? What's his will? What's his desire for me? Um, we're going to cover that. So look at chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. And I'll go back through and break it down. It says this, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So let's go back through this. Paul says, I beseech. If you're writing notes, that word beseech means I beg you. I urge you strongly. Paul is Paul is really desiring that they would they would you know, you guys, I beg you. I'm urging you guys to, to do what I'm about to tell you to do. Um, and why does he feel so strongly? Why is why is the Apostle Paul begging or urging them that they would do this because he loves them? And he knows that this is what God wants for them, kind of like a parent. Any parent here ever just been urging your kid, you know that they need to, you know, work on something. They need to do it different. And you're as best you can. You're trying to convey it to them. But you always know that they got to go to school or wherever it is that you're encouraging them. They, at some point, they're going to exercise their own free will. Paul says, look, I'm urging you. I'm begging you guys to do this. As he says that, I urge you, I beg you, I beseech you. It's an indicator that these people are going to have to submit their will. And the same is true for you and me. This is a word to us. Paul is speaking to them, but God is speaking to you. I urge you, I beseech you because of the mercies of God that you would present your body a living sacrifice. Well, understand that there's a there's a large part of this that you're going to have to surrender your will. And that's why I said it's, it's surrender and then sacrifice and then service. God doesn't make robots. God's not going to make anybody here do it his way. He urges us, he convicts us, he leads us, he tells us, he shows us, he encourages, he, he does all these things. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a matter of us bending our will, us surrendering our will, us saying, Lord, you are Lord of my life. And if that's what you want, then that's what I'll do. So Paul says, look, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, whenever you see the word therefore, in the Bible. What's the rule? Anybody know it? When you see the word therefore, what do you got to do? You look back and see what it's there for. So every time you see that, when a sentence begins with that, therefore, you look back because everything that was just said is, is, is the therefore. So he says, I beseech you, therefore. Therefore, what's, what, are, what are we looking back to? Uh, we're looking back to chapters 1 through 11 and all the things that God has done, all the ways that God has shown us how he loves us. How was he showing us his mercy, the mercies of God? I wrote several of them down. You don't have to write this down, but some of the things that we covered in chapters one through 11 that, that are displays of the mercy of God, we looked at justification by faith, how that God makes us through our faith. He makes us justified, um, just, as fight, just as though we've never sinned, um, that we've been adopted into the family of God, that we're adopted in. God chose you and he elected you and he adopted you into the family of God, that we're now under grace. And we're not under the law anymore. Uh, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit living in each one of us, helping us along in our relationship with God. God helps us in our afflictions. When we go through it as believers, we don't go through it alone. He helps us in our difficulties. We learn that all things are working together for the good. So that because we know God, even when bad things happen, God says, I'm even working that out for the good of those that love me and are called according to my purpose. Uh, we know that there's a promise of coming glory. Romans 8.18, Paul said, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. So we, we have so much that we're looking forward to that God is going to do. We have a, a promise of coming glory. We, look, we learned also there's no separation, that there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing, there's no entity in this world that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. We learn through chapter 11 
as we see God's persistent love of rebellious Israel, that God's told we can have total confidence in God's continued faithfulness towards us. If he can continue to be faithful towards them, then we know that God can be continue to be faithful towards us. So when he says, look, I beg you, I beseech you, therefore, because of the mercies of God, because of all of that, right, all that God has done for you, understand that as believers, we're never doing, working, serving, surrendering so that God will. We're always doing what we do because of what God has already done. That's so important to know. We're not earning favor with God. We're not doing things that we might earn brownie points or special favor with God. We're always responding to a God that's already been good to us. Amen. God's already shown mercy. God's already done great things for us. And so it's always a a real twisted motive when I'm going to serve God or I'm going to do this so that God will bless me. So I've always hated the old church rhetoric that says when praises go up, what do they say? Blessings come down. Think of how messed up that is. As I'm praising God so that he'll rain down blessings. So even when you think of praise, do you guys understand that's manipulative, right? So it'd be like your kid, if your kid came and said really nice things to you so that you would do really nice things for them, you would say, you're trying to manipulate me. You know, what, what would we call that, right? That's not, it's not genuine. And God is smarter than we are. So if I come to God like, I'm going to praise you real hard. I'm going to be real exuberant in my praise so that you might bless me. I'm supposed to be praising him because of what he's already done. He already died on the cross. though. He's already done the most. He's already died. He's already rose. He's already forgiven. He's already chosen. I should be able to praise him till I get to heaven and then continue in heaven because of what he's already done. And so be careful about that. Be careful about ever being in a place where I'm, I'm going to do this. So that God will will bless me more. Um, if you ever find that that's your motive and service, stop. Repent. Get, 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 get refocused of what God's already done and then serve him for what he's already done. God, because he died for me, because I was going to hell, but now I'm going to heaven. You can have my life. Whatever you want to do with it, Lord, it's yours. I'll serve you. I'll speak for you. I'll, I'll forgive them in your name. Whatever you want because of what you've already done. Now, if you choose to bless me more in the future, which he seems to enjoy doing, I'm all for it. Please, rain them down. But we don't do so that he will. Amen? So by the mercies of God, right? Because God's already shown great mercy to us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Then he says, and I, so let me stop here. Um, mercies uh, are compassions or pity. Um, and everybody, one way we, we just define the word mercy is, you know, not getting what you deserve. But even the heart behind that, when you define the word, how come I don't get what I deserve? What do we all deserve from God? Judgment. We deserve hell. We've all broken commandments. We've all sinned against God. We all deserve punishment and penalty. But God says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm merciful. I love you guys. Right. He's not looking to smash us. God's not looking for an opportunity to to rain down brimstone on us. And as we look to him, God delights in mercy towards you and me. Uh, He's a good heavenly father. He loves you. And so um, he said, look, by my by the mercies of God, there's a there's a verse in Lamentations 3, 22. And it says, by the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Great is his faithfulness, right? It's just through the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. If God weren't merciful, we'd all just, we'd be smoked already. But it's because of his mercy towards us that we're not consumed, uh, that he has mercy on us. And the word, it literally means compassions or pity. 
And um, and I'll, anybody here that maybe seen someone that you just pitied them, you just looked at them and said, "Oh man, look at that it's a poor thing." You know, you just had a, your heart just went out. That's how God looks at us. His heart just goes out towards us. Uh, just a heart of just a heart of love and compassion and mercy. And again, many of us that are parents, you experience that with your kids. You see the weakness, the frailty in your kids. Anybody ever have a, a child that was sick? It's a, it's a torture to a parent. When a kid is sick, it probably, it really is worse on the parent. Because you, you'd do anything to take it off of them and put it on you so they could be okay. But the torture of looking at a little one and they're helpless and they're sick or coughing or hacking or whatever, you just, ah, oh, your heart goes out. When um, my son BJ was much smaller, he kept having this uh, this condition in the middle of the night. He would wake up with this. They called it a seal cough and his throat was sealing up and he could barely breathe and he would be coughing and he was panicking because he was a little kid. And he didn't know what was going on and why he couldn't breathe. And so in the panic and the crying, it would actually make it worse. And I remember being with him, like standing in the shower, letting the steam from the shower open up his passageways or standing out in my backyard at 2 a.m. holding him so that the fresh air could open him up. And just, you know, where my heart was, I just wanted it to go away. Like I just I couldn't stand to see him there. Just there, there was compassion there was just a desire to see it gone. God says, that's, that's why I haven't consumed you guys. I have mercy on you. And so, again, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, um, because God has been merciful towards us. Um, uh, that I'm oh, sorry. Now, the next thing that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, he says, which is your reasonable service. So the first thing he tells us that we would present our bodies to God. Uh, I was looking that up and I've always looked at this as just speaking of my physical body. Um, that I present our bodies to God. And that's part of it, right? God wants you to present your body to him as a living sacrifice. But it's actually more than that. It's not just your body. It's all of who you are. Body, mind, soul, spirit. Everything that you are, God wants it presented to God. doesn't just want your body and not your mind. He doesn't just want your body, but not your heart. God wants all of who you are. That we would present our bodies to God. Now, the picture here, because he's talking about a sacrifice, for you guys that went through Leviticus with us, and we looked at the sacrificial system, and we looked at the animals that were brought forth, and how they had to be examined, they had to be found perfect, um, they had to be qualified, they had to be an acceptable sacrifice, and they were presented, they were brought to the priest, the priest would examine them, he would acknowledge that they were acceptable or not acceptable, then they could be offered up to God in worship, God says, your body now. I want that to be, that's the offering. We're not offering lambs. You're not going to bring a goat without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any of those things, right? We're going to present our bodies to God, a living sacrifice. And, and, and just as you begin to be bummed out at the fact that your body is not perfect, and I'm not talking about shape or, you know, <laughs> or physical features or any of those things. When I say your body is not perfect, you say, man, my, I'm not a perfect sacrifice. I'm not without blemish. I'm not without spot. I can see spots every day. I can see blemishes all the time. This is when you remember what Jesus did for you. Who went in your place? Jesus went in my place. We, I never was going to be good enough, right? I never was going to have a perfect sacrifice. But God says, here, look, I want you to present yourself to me. I've already taken care of it, spiritually speaking. As far as the spiritual realm is concerned, God said, I've taken care of that for you. I provided a perfect sacrifice in myself. But now, now because I did that for you, would you present yourself to the Lord? Uh, 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 present your body to God. Uh, my entire body, body, soul, and spirit um, presented to God as a living sacrifice. 
If you're writing notes, you can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, which says, For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And we're just reminded that I don't even belong to myself anymore. I feel like I belong to myself. Everybody here woke up. You guys are here by choice, most of y'all. So somebody might have been dragged. Maybe somebody's wife pulled you by the ear. But for the most part, y'all got up. Y'all got dressed. Y'all, you know, brushed your teeth and combed your hair or shined or whatever you had to do. And y'all made y'all way here by choice. Um, it's it's you desired. You, you moved in, in, in according to your own will. You did that. God says, I want you to your, your body belongs to me. Right. And even though you, it feels like you can do with it what you want, I want you to offer it to me. And we'll find that it's something we're going to have to do regularly. Right. I don't I don't get to offer my life to God. For many people, they think it's a one-time deal. You know, I, I, I raised my hand that one day at church and I, I did surrender and I did confess him as Lord and I, I surrendered my heart to God that one day, that one time. But you guys know it's a daily thing, right? Um, I got to give my life to the Lord every single day. Every single day, I got to give it back to him. Um, I gave my life to the Lord in October of 1995, but I've taken it back a whole bunch of times. I gave it to him and then I took it back and did me and then I had to give it back. God, I, I keep taking this belongs to you. I keep taking what belongs to you and doing what I want with it, but it actually belongs to you. And we're going to find out just a little bit. That's why I need my mind renewed. I need to, I need to be reminded regularly. That's why I need to be in the word. I need to be in fellowship. I need to be around other believers that this body doesn't belong to me. This is his life. right? I'm, I'm, I'm to be living for his glory. So present your bodies. Uh, next, he says a living sacrifice. In comparison to a typical sacrifice, which was dead. So all through the Old Testament, sacrifices weren't living. You killed it. Then you sacrificed it. But God says, I want something different in the New Testament. I want you to offer yourself to me as a living sacrifice. Right. And it would I would argue that it would be easier to be a, a dead sacrifice. How many times does a dead sacrifice have to die? Once. How many times does a living sacrifice have to die? Daily. Over and over and over and over. You die every single day. You die multiple times throughout the day. You die to yourself. Yourself wanted to say something smart to the boss. You die to that. Yourself wanted to say something rude to your spouse. You die to that. Yourself was frustrated with the kids. You die to that. Yourself was being led to do something and your flesh didn't want to do it, but God was saying do it and you, you got to die to that. And over and over again, it's a, that's how you become a living sacrifice. And we're all working on that. I know we're working on that. Um, I know no one's here is like, I got that. I am the perfect living sacrifice. I die daily all the time. I never live. You know, we're, we're working on that. And so I'm pointing this out to us because this is Paul that said, look, I beg you, right? He wouldn't beg you to do something if, if it was something that he knew was, he was going to have a challenge doing. He's begging us because he knows this would please the Lord. And there's a benefit to you and I, right? So many Christians are walking around trying to figure out what am I supposed to do with my life? I don't, they're Christians. They believe in Jesus. They, they've taken that step. I believe Jesus is Lord. He died on the cross, rose from the grave. He's coming back again. I'm looking for it. But then they're meandering through this life without any sense of purpose. They don't have guidance. They don't know what to do. The reason is, is that they're not, they're not living like a living sacrifice. It's because they won't let God have it all. That they're not walking in, in clarity. They don't have a sense of clarity about what they're supposed to do. And so Paul is saying, I'm really trying to help you out. Right? I want you to, because Paul understood what his purpose was. He had a sense, he had a great sense of purpose, his purpose in this life. And it helped him to live the way God wanted him to live. When Paul was put in difficult situations, look, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So he said, if I live, 
I know that my call is to live for Christ. So that's what I'm going to do. And if you threaten to kill me, well, for me, if I die, to die is gain. I get to go be with the Lord. And I had a glimpse of the third heaven. It was awesome. And I'm looking forward to it anyway. And so when a guy has that kind of vision for his life, how do you stop him? How do you how do you hinder him from doing? He wasn't hindered. Paul was able to go full, full forth with what God had. He, he understood God's will for his life. And I believe as we understand his will for our life that we'll go for, we'll, we'll do what God gave us to do even in a stronger way than maybe we've been doing it. We'll, we'll move forward with a sense of purpose. And it's a, the difference is this. If you, if you walk out into a parking lot and you know exactly where you parked, you walk with a different kind of purpose. Like I'm, I'm going that way, that way, then that way because I know I parked on E3 or whatever. But if you walk out into the parking lot and you're unsure where you parked, you walking out and you're like, you're hitting the thing on your button trying to listen and you just kind of, you walk a little different. Your steps, you kind of meander, you maybe take several missteps, you walk two, two aisles over and you don't hear nothing beeping back yet and you got to walk. You waste time, right? You don't walk, your steps are not as sure because I don't know where I'm going yet. No, I'm looking for something. No, I'm looking for my car. But when you know where it's at, the steps are sure. You get there a lot quicker, right? If I can know what God's called me to do, then my life won't look like a bunch of missteps. I'll, there'll be sure steps. I'll be, I'll be walking in purpose according to his divine design and I'll be accomplishing the things that God has given me to do. So you present your body as a living sacrifice. I thought of Isaac in the Old Testament as Abraham was told by God, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him up as a sacrifice. And Abraham started packing up everything that he needed and he got the donkey and he said, hey, so he told him the lad and I will be back. But they went and Isaac at that time was a young man. He wasn't some, you know, some of the little Bible cartoon pictures. You got a little bitty guy, a little seven, eight year old. But that wasn't the case. He was a young adult, 20 or so. You know, uh, so, you know, dad was aged. He was a young man. And dad said, hey, now, son, get up on that altar. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but we don't live in that culture. But I mean, it'd be like somebody telling you, get up, son, get up on the barbecue. Lay there. And I got wood and I got stuff to start a fire. And I mean, we, we do this all the time. But you telling me to get him on the bar? Where, where the slab of ribs at? You know, um, and Isaac could have resisted. Isaac could have rebelled. Isaac could have surely overpowered his older aging father. But he submitted was going to be a willing sacrifice. He laid himself right on up there um, as a picture to you and me. It's an image, right, that he just submitted. Um, now, God stopped it. He didn't die there. But he was submitting, living sacrifice. So you think on this for a moment for yourself. Where is God calling you to live sacrificially? What parts of your life is God? The Holy Spirit's already been saying it. So it's not going to be something you hear new today. Where has the Holy Spirit already been on you to be living? Sacrifice that to me. Live sacrificially for me in this area of your life. Where's he been speaking that to you? For some of you, it's living sacrificially. It's going to be some, some elements of your family life. Where God wants you to live sacrificially. He wants you to die to yourself and your household. That he, might, that he might do greater things in your family through you. Uh, for some of you, it may be in some other areas where God has said, look, I want you to live sacrificially. I want you to give more of yourself to me. I want you to take greater steps of faith. I want you to be available to me in a different way. But where's God been speaking that to you? That you would be a living sacrifice for him. Um, yield to that. Right? Enjoy what God brings about as you do that. So again, it says, present your bodies uh, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And first of all, he says, I want you to present it to God in a certain way. Holy means consecrated, set apart. 
Just like those offerings or the sacrifices in, in the Old Testament had to be without spot, without blemish, they had to be offered perfectly. God says, you come. I want your life to be consecrated to me, set apart for me. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Paul knew suffering, and he had faced false accusations, been beaten, left for dead, imprisoned, and hated by his own people. How could a man who has suffered so much rejoice in it? He answers that question through the love of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Next time you're facing suffering, jump into the book of Romans, dig into the life of Paul, and remember the purpose of the suffering to produce endurance, character, and hope. We're so glad you joined us today on A Transforming Word, where Pastor Bill Buffington has been working his way through the rich book of Romans. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you in person. We have two services on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and one service midweek. That one is held Wednesday evenings at 7. If you're not in the area, we live stream our services on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Under the Media tab, you'll find links to our messages as well as our mobile app. We're out of time for today. Thanks for deciding to spend your time with us today. We'll see you again next time with more from Romans on a Transforming Word.